Welcome to Built to Go, a van life program. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 186, and we're going to talk about a very serious topic that involves homelessness, or the proper term being unhousedness, and van life, and how the two things are the same, but not, but impact each other. We're also going to talk about cabin air filters, that filter you might not even know you have, but might be increasing humidity in your vehicle. And we're going to talk about some hard hat stories. And, uh, well, you'll see, but wear your hard hat if you should. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 186. We are going to talk about some controversial stuff today. I am not really comfortable talking about this, honestly. I'm going to hopefully not screw this up. But we need to have a talk about homelessness as it relates to van life. And um, first off, let's just state this right out front, that the term homelessness or homeless or saying someone is homeless or the homeless is kind of fallen out of fashion. Um, It's seen as a slur to some groups. They prefer the term unhoused. So I'm going to try to use that term going forward. But just so we're all talking about the same thing here, we're talking about people who are living in circumstances that they don't want to be living in. They would much rather be living in a house or an apartment or something like that, some sort of brick and mortar structure instead of on the street or in a tent or in an RV or in a van or whatever. Now, these folks, many of them are us. And by us, I mean the built-to-go community, if such a thing exists. I mean, this program isn't about van life in the sense that it's strictly about people who decide to go and live in a van on their own. It's for anybody living in vehicles, regardless of why. If you're somebody with a lot of wealth and you're deciding to take a year and travel across the country in a van, great, this program is for you. If you're somebody who finds yourself in circumstances that living in a vehicle right now seems like your best chance at survival, this program is for you too. I don't really distinguish between the two. I mean, I completely distinguish between the two insofar as people who have choices and people who don't. But for me, the focus is, how do you cook in your van? How do you deal with bathroom issues? What are some security problems you might have? That kind of a thing. And that encompasses everybody who's living and traveling in vehicles. But there are some uncomfortable truths about this overlapping Venn diagram. You have some prejudices going on on both sides. I've certainly seen van life people, that is, people who are choosing to do van life and have other resources and could live in a house if they wanted to, looking down upon people who are living in a vehicle because they have no better choice. Conversely, I have seen a lot of anger from people who are forced to live in vehicles at people who are choosing to live in vehicles, especially those who do it part-time, like me. They even have a term for people like us, and it's called houses. People who live in houses but have a van. And there is some indication from them that they feel like it is morally inappropriate for people to live in vehicles if they don't have to. And I'm certainly, obviously, not on that side of things, but I'm also not on the side of things that we should be judging people who are surviving the best way they can. 
Now, this is an enormous issue. Homelessness is a huge problem. So what I would like to do is have you guys start by watching a couple of YouTube videos. Stop this video, watch these videos if you can. There's a short one and a long one. One is from Australia and one is from the US and I have links in the show notes. And they both show very different aspects of what it's like out there. The sad truth is that while many of us never consider that someday we're going to be forced to live in a vehicle or in a shelter or on the street, we're probably much closer to that than we might comfortably realize. And I think this fear of not being able to control your living circumstances helps feed some of the judgmental comments people make about the unhoused. Consider this. When you watch these videos I've linked to, you're going to see some people who maybe are overweight or maybe have a lot of kids. And it is easy to look at them and say, well, you shouldn't have had all those kids if you couldn't afford them, or you're clearly getting enough food. These are hateful comments. These are not productive comments, and they're comments that come from, I think, two places. One is a lack of empathy. I mean, that's fairly obvious. But another is fear, and it's fear that we could end up like them. And so when we have this fear, we automatically go to thinking of reasons why that can't happen to us. Like, oh, if I were in that situation, well, I I know I could get a job working at Walmart at nights that would pay more than that guy working at Disney World makes. And suddenly we feel better and we feel superior and protected. And I'm going to ask you to fight these natural urges. I mean, this is how people are. I get it. But fighting that would be a good thing for humanity. (laughs) Because these folks aren't that different from you. And in many cases, they are you. I get it. I am only concerned with you accomplishing your goals. And for me, the goal I'm focusing on in this program is to live comfortably and successfully in a vehicle, however you got there and whatever you want to do. So you're not going to get any judgment from me. And if you do, please call me out on it because I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't want to be associated with it. So the big question is, where do you want to be? If you are living in a house and you're tired of the rat race and you have enough savings that you want to head out on the road for a year or something, I think that's wonderful. But when you do this, you're going to encounter people who are doing it for a very different reason. And very importantly, you're going to encounter a reaction to those people that's going to apply to you. A lot of what we're seeing with Walmart not allowing parking anymore and towns enacting laws that you can't park overnight in your vehicle or the state of Tennessee making it a felony to cook lunch in your vehicle on public property, yes, that's a real thing, isn't really about the people who choose to do van life. It's about the people who have no choice. And unfortunately, society's reaction to these people is simply to get them out of sight. I have talked about this before, but if you go to the Pacific Northwest, you will see the unhoused almost everywhere. And people criticize the Pacific Northwest for this. And yet, if you go to other major cities, you may not see as much. And so what's the difference? Well, the difference isn't the number of unhoused people. The difference is how the society handles it. In the Pacific Northwest, they're not 
trying to hide them. I mean, obviously, they're not unified in this. Certainly, people are trying to run them out of town, but other people are trying to solve the problem, and they're starting programs like opening up parking lots and things like that. In other parts of the country, the society is very much all about get them out of here, run them out of town, hide them. I know in Chicago, which certainly has a huge homeless population, there are regular programs the city does where it goes through and clears out all the tents and removes all the homeless. I'm sorry, the unhoused. It is difficult, but I'm going to keep trying. And expects them to go where <laughs> i mean i don't know the shelters are full 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 uh and we have this new issue where people are busing migrants to our city against their will and finding places to house them is extremely difficult because there's no coordination at all so this this practice of just moving people i don't see what good that does and in the pacific northwest they do that less which makes them more visible which i think is actually good because the problem doesn't go away just because you moved it out of the way also in chicago we have people who will donate tents to folks and nice tents you know those winter tents that are insulated i there's one individual who will just give one of those to anybody who wants one and unfortunately the city will come and tear it down i do not pretend to have answers for the problem of unhoused people i do think it's getting worse but in the scope of this show as you, someone who's choosing to do van life, run into barriers, understand that it's echoes of this problem, this problem of moving people along, and they do cause actual problems. I completely understand a business not wanting the street in front of their shop to be filled with decrepit RVs that don't have any proper sewage disposal driving away customers. That is a real concern. I just don't think the answer is, is to kind of push that concern somewhere else. I think we need a systemic societal solution. So for those of you choosing to do van life, please remember that this is a privilege you have. It's great. It's something to be celebrated. I love the fact that I live a life that I've been fortunate to stumble into where I can head out in my van and not have to worry about food other than, you know, finding the food I like or it not going bad in my van. I don't have to worry about, holy cow, I don't have enough food to eat this week. And that will bring us to the last section of this, something that really makes me angry when I see it promoted in the van life community. And that is taking advantage of programs that are set up for the unhoused or for people who have paid for a service that you haven't. The simplest example of this, and probably the least egregious, is folks who will park their vans in hotel parking lots at night. I have done this. I don't think it's terribly wrong to park your van in a hotel parking lot at night. I mean, if the parking lot's full and you're taking up the space of a paying guest, that's not cool. But most of the time, there's plenty of space in hotel parking lots. You're not bothering anybody. Some have suggested that one of the reasons to park in a hotel parking lot is that you can go in the lobby and use the bathroom there. Mm, okay, that's not the worst thing in the world either. But others have suggested that while you're in the lobby, you might as well grab one of those free breakfasts. To me, that's just theft. That free breakfast was paid for by the people who paid for a room for that night. And if van life people start taking advantage of this, they're going to start cracking down on parking in the parking lot. And they're going to start questioning people. I mean... I don't understand that mentality where because you can get something without paying for it that you should, but it's a common mentality. I don't like it. 
But what's worse, and I think is, is morally indefensible, is people who have chosen to do van life, who have the means to support themselves, but want to save a buck, so they go and visit food banks. There are food banks all over the country. They are all overstressed. There are way more people who need food than they can provide. And every van lifer, van lifer by choice, who goes to a food bank and takes food just to make their budget stretch a little bit more, is literally taking food out of the mouths of people who desperately need it. So, there you go. I'm happy to hear your comments on what I've just said. I'm happy to have you disagree with me, whatever. You can do it in the YouTube comments. You can do it in the podcast comments, although those are very difficult. You can send me email, and if I get enough of them, I will address this in the future. But that's how I feel about it. It's a complicated issue, and all I'm really asking for are the van life by choice people to have a little bit of empathy and a little bit of compassion for those who are van life by not choice. A special thank you this week to Brian and Kent for helping to support the show. I absolutely appreciate everyone who's doing this. It keeps ads off the podcast, which I think is great. If you would like to help support the show, please go visit buymeacoffee.com slash built to go. That's two T's, not three, not one. And you could buy me a gallon of diesel or two or whatever you're comfortable with. And we will continue to have no ads on the podcast except for this little blurb here, which I shall stop right now. Tech talk. So air filters, right? Everyone knows their vehicle has an air filter. It's under the hood and you know, it's either over the carburetor or on the intake. It depends on how your engine is. Doesn't matter. Most air filters today are square. When I was growing up, they were round. You guys understand that, I'm pretty sure. Even if you go to like Jiffy Lube to have your oil changes done, they're always talking about your air filter. But if you have a fairly modern vehicle, you probably have two air filters and if you neglect the other one which is the cabin air filter it can cause problems so many modern vehicles my sprinter my 2011 sprinter has one has have another filter that is just to filter the air coming into the cabin like when you have the heat on or the air conditioner on these are great to have they keep dust down in the cabin they can reduce odors to some extent some of them are charcoal but they get clogged up like any filter and if they get clogged up what they'll do is hold moisture and then you're holding moisture in your vehicle and you know you don't want that we've talked about that a lot so first off find out if you have one of these filters and you have to look that up online because I don't know what kind of a vehicle you have, but find that out. And then second, find out how to change it. They're usually $10. They're not very expensive filters. The difficulty is in getting to them. I know, I don't think my NV200 had one actually, but later years they did have one and you had to remove the glove box to replace them, which is, I think, kind of crazy, but you don't have to replace them that often. So I guess they thought it wasn't that big of a deal. Little thing to add to your to-do list. Find out if you have a cabin air filter, find out how to replace it, and then make a note of when you replaced it. And if you start getting unwanted moisture in your vehicle, especially while you're driving, you might want to replace that thing. It could help a lot. Product review. Well, it's getting cold out, uh, and I'm 
down in my river property down by the Tiki Bago uh, fairly often. And while well, it's cold at night, it's, it's gone down into the 30s a couple times. And the Tiki Bago, like any 1973 Winnebago RV, has a furnace built into it. Actually, mine's a newer one. They replaced the one it came with. It doesn't matter. And, you know, you flip the switch and the propane fires up and all this. But um, I also have electricity at the Tiki Bago. So why not use electric heat? And the answer is I do. And I don't understand why RVs don't come with electric heat built in. I mean, I know you can get a heat strip for the air conditioning, but uh, my ambulance actually has an electric heater built into the wall. And it's just so convenient. So any van life folk who are going to do anything where it's going to get cold and you have shore power, I strongly recommend you pick up one of those $15 space heaters. I've got a few of them, but it will be more than enough to heat your van. Now, my Tiki Bago is 22 feet long. There's a lot more space in there than in your normal van. And we are able to keep it perfectly warm in there with just this little $15 electric space heater now the one we have has a fan and a coil and a tip over switch and that's pretty much it you can set it to fan only low high or an eco mode that i don't really know what the heck that does but it's on there it's a little green leaf so you know it's good right I, I don't know but point is if you are in a situation where you're going to have shore power at night save your propane save your battery go ahead and pick up one of these cheap little heaters and you know i have one here for you folks watching on youtube this is the one i have in my office i actually think this one is perfect for a van because it's it's rectangular it's made by sunbeam and it's 1500 watts right so you don't want to try to run this off of your inverter this is only if you have shore power or if you're running a generator so just a quick little tip i'm sure most of you have already thought of this but if you haven't this is a nice little bit of kit that can keep you warm all night long for only a little bit of money and, and actually no money if you're staying at a campground. Tales from the road. So I, uh, this doesn't really have all that much to do with van life, but it does illustrate an important point. Um, Tiki Bago, talk about it all the time. It's an old Winnebago parked on the Illinois River on uh, four acres of land we have. It's mostly woods and some grass. Anyway, I've got a Kubota tractor that I use to cut the grass and for other maintenance. It's got a little front end loader on it. It's a super nice thing. I could do a whole podcast about Kubotas, but I won't. <laughs> and I will keep in mind that this is a van life podcast. But when I drive around the Kubota, I usually wear a hard hat and earmuffs and a face shield. And, and basically what I'm wearing is a chainsaw or a Sawyer's helmet, as they call them. And uh, it's, it's good. And I would recommend that everybody do this. Also, my Kubota has this thing called ROPS, which is a rollover protective system rollover protection system that is basically just a big roll bar so if this thing rolls over it can only roll over on its side it can't actually roll over on its hood which would crush me i'm thankful for this but sometimes i'm just you know i'm just moving the tractor and i don't like go bother to put on the helmet and uh I'm learning that that's a really bad idea because twice in a month I've almost died <laughs> because I haven't had that hard hat on. The first one was completely bizarre. I was simply moving the tractor from one part of the yard to the other. And as I pulled up and stopped, 
a tree fell on my head out of the blue i didn't hit it with anything it was just a dead tree in the woods and we've got plenty of those it just decided it was its time to fall and it just fell and it hit me exactly square in the head now Obviously, I wasn't severely injured by this because I wouldn't be here, but I didn't have my hard hat on and it hurt, <laughs> but it was a small enough tree that it didn't cause any permanent damage. So um, yeah, I should have been wearing my hard hat even for that. I mean, honestly, I wonder if I should even be outside on this property without a hard hat. The second time was just last week. The uh, Kubota usually lives outside, but for the winter, I keep it inside. There's a garage on this property that's usually full of stuff. But in the winter, I move the stuff out of the way and I pull in the Kubota. Well, remember that ROPS system, the rollover protection system that I just mentioned? It bends. There are pins you pull out and it bends down so you can fit it into garages. If you remember, which I didn't this year, and I you have to go into the garage kind of fast because you have to go over a lip. So I, I jumped over the lip and then the ROPS hit the top of the garage door and ripped off this beam that was full of nails. And yeah, you guessed it. It fell almost on my head. It actually landed on my shoulder, nails up, fortunately. Now, it very easily could have fallen in such a way that it would have driven a nail into my skull. I would not be here if that had happened. Another time when I should have been wearing the hard hat without even thinking about it. I mean, what's the big deal? I'm just going to pull into the... Well, okay. So my new rule now on is if I'm on the tractor, I'm wearing my hard hat. <laughs> and um, it's just something to consider, folks, that if you're in a situation where you the unexpected could happen, a hard hat's not a bad idea. If you're using a chainsaw at all, you should always have a hard hat on. And if you're driving a tractor in the woods, it's probably a good idea, too. A place to visit. So I used to live in the Washington DC area. I went to Georgetown University. I lived in Manassas and Reston and Leesburg. I spent a lot of time in DC. It's a great city. It's a great city to visit. Lots of stuff going on there. But when people tell you to visit stuff in DC, you know, you get the normal answers. Oh, you want to go to the mall. You want to go to the Washington Monument. You want to go to all the museums, which you do. I absolutely agree. But one thing, and all the locals would say this, is that the best thing to see in DC are the monuments, but specifically at night. You go down where the monuments are and it's easier to find parking at night and they're all lit up beautifully and you can walk from one to the other and just get these amazing glowing views of Lincoln and Roosevelt and the World War II Memorial. I mean, they're all there and it's absolutely beautiful. And this is something you can do even if you're just visiting DC for the day, you know, on your way out after it gets dark, go ahead and take a walk around and then you can hop in your van and head over to Virginia to park for the night or whatever you're going to do. But seriously, folks, if you're going to do DC, don't overlook the nighttime views of the monuments. It's, it's really a special feeling, especially if you can do it on one of those days where it's unexpectedly warm in the evening, like maybe April or late April, where it starts to get into the seventies at night. I mean, it's just magic, and I think too many people overlook it. Resource recommendation. So we're coming up on seasonal job time, and well, there's a really 
decently paying seasonal job that you can do at least for a month. And I know many van life people will make all their money in like lumps and then go without money for a while and then make it in a lump. This is a great job for that. And it is a UPS assistant and they have a few different positions um you can help in the warehouses and stuff because obviously they're delivering a ton of packages at, at christmas i mean a ton of packages at christmas all the ups drivers have to work every single day all christmas season i mean that's just expected it's what they do but they need help and uh, i did this one year and that basically i was a driver's assistant and the driver would go down a street, I would grab some packages, he would grab some packages, and then I would deliver one side of the street and he would deliver the other side of the street. And it was a lot of work, but it paid very well. It was significantly above minimum wage. And they gave you a uniform, and I, let's say I got a hat, and uh, usually the driver would buy me lunch, but you can't be guaranteed of that. But uh, boy, it was a really nice way to make a lot of money in a short amount of time. There was endless work and I didn't really have any trouble getting the job. Now, it's been a long time since I did this, but we're getting to the point where they're gonna start hiring again. So I tried to get a URL to share with you, but stupid Google keeps wanting to put Chicago in there no matter what I type. So all you have to do is Google UPS seasonal job and see if that works for you. Um, I don't know what this year's going to be like. It looks like package delivery is way on the upswing. I think they're going to be looking for a lot of people. I can't be sure, but it's at least one more place you can look for a seasonal job to make a ton of money in a short amount of time. Folks, thank you very much for listening or watching episode 186. I'm very glad to be here with you each and every week. This is a shorter episode, and I apologize for that, but I'm getting ready for a lot of travel coming up. I can't even list all the different countries and places I'll be going to, but I'm going to try to do podcasts from there on location, and I don't know what the next few weeks are going to hold, so bear with me here. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember the words of Alfred Adler, who said... Empathy is seeing with the eyes of another, listening with the ears of another, and feeling with the heart of another.